Welcome. Let's join best-selling author Fred Kuhn as he interviews our next guest expert. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the U.S. at Work. We are still focused on military transition and will be for a long time. Our guest today is Eric Doc Reich, who is a, has his PhD, he's a military veteran, and he's a serial founder of companies and organizations. He's a veteran-owned business mentor, he's an author, and he does edutainings, public speaking on military transition into civilian speak, LinkedIn for business growth, and a number of other issues. So I'd like to welcome you, Eric, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Fred. It's, it's uh, quite a treat to be on with you. Thank you. We're talking about transition here, and it's a pretty hefty subject because there's a number of people that are transitioning, and my experience, as well as yours, uh, having been in the public, and private, and uniform for a number of years, you were, wanted to get your take on what are some key things that a service member can do as they think about transition to the civilian workforce? Yeah, great question to, uh, to get us started here. There's a plethora of things they need to be aware of on their transition radars, if you will. But, uh, you know, in my work with thousands of military veterans over the last, uh, you know, five years or so, the ones that really help them get the most tactical traction, i.e. 90 days before the transition and 90 days after the transition is one they need to get really good with LinkedIn, okay? And there's lots of different gurus out there telling you how, but the way we do it is a very specific way. We develop it in conjunction with a special forces officer. So it's a methodology that a lot of folks in uniforms are familiar with. So get really good with LinkedIn is number one. Number two is get really good with networking. And I don't mean just show up at an event with a bunch of business cards. There's some ways that you can gather intelligence, if you will, on what it is you're about to go network and what the objective is and all that stuff. Again, Fred, these things are very, the way we present them is in a manner that's very familiar with the veteran. They've been doing things like this their entire career. We basically are showing them the context and the processes that the civilians use to do these things. We just show it to them in their language, if you will. What are some of the things that you tell them about networking? Well, so the first thing is, is, you know, if it's on LinkedIn, identify who you want in your network. You know, don't just accept every single request and don't just shotgun request. Okay. So for example, myself, I, so anybody that's a business owner, they're one of my buckets of, of uh, audience members, anybody that's a veteran, anybody that's a student of business. You know, I was a college professor back in the day. So my network groups have very specific connectivity with me and I with them so that when we form a relationship, we both can get some benefit out of it. And that's what LinkedIn is all about is how do we help each other? How do we educate each other? How do we advocate for each other? So veterans can do that same thing. And now they're not just networking and growing a network for the sake of, hey, look, I have 15,000 followers, everybody. Hey, look, I have 29,000 connections, everybody. It's the folks in there can literally help them advance their careers and likewise. In-person events, you know, what is the dress code like? Who is the audience? You know, is it decision makers? Is it simply an informal networking event? You know, what are some of the topics that are going to be discussed there? Again, if you do a little bit of homework up front, what is your objective? What do you want out of that networking event? You know, where is it being held? Okay, so you can figure out where you want to stand. You know, don't stand outside the restroom or stand at the front door and hit people as they come in. 
you know, stand by the bar, right? He'll wait till everybody gets a drink and then <laughs> capture them. But anyway, there's just tactical things they can learn like that that really help them get better at it faster. One of the things that I tell them is as they're walking around a floor, if it's a job fair or something like that, introduce themselves and ask for the person's resume. Let me see if I can help you. Let me have your resume. And I'll, if I can help you, I will. What you then have is the references or the companies that person's worked for on their resume. And if they're, they're of interest to you, guess what you know? You know somebody inside that company or who was with that company who can direct you to the right person. So there's so many strategies here to use that people don't ordinarily think of. It's networking is so critical to this. Most of the jobs are found through networking and influencers. And so it's really important that you not be afraid of that. Well, I think right there, Fred, I mean, you just nailed it. You know, uh, you say influencers, I say advocates, but, the, but it's the same. You want to create people that you want to be memorable and you want to create people that remember you. So that when they see a resume or their buddy sees a resume, they may not be hiring you, but if they can advocate for you, if they can influence somebody else's decision to give you an interview. So, you know, you hit the nail right on the head there with that, that second piece, that LinkedIn piece. So when you say get really good with LinkedIn, what does that mean? Well, so to me, it means, you know, you've got to have a good profile and there's thousands of books and thousands of experts and thousands of seminars and webinars and videos you can watch you know, just type it into Google and I'll tell you. So you've got to have a good profile. That's the building block. That kind of goes without saying at this point. Then what I mean is, what have you done in terms of a story? Take the reader on a trip. And little bitty things like don't talk to us in third person. It makes it very formal. It makes it very standoffish. We know you wrote it. So it makes it kind of awkward. Talk to me in first person. Be memorable. There's 660 plus million users on LinkedIn. You have to be memorable. So write in the first person. Tell a good story. Here's who I am. Here's what I've learned how to do over my career. Here's what that means I can do for companies that I'm looking at. You know, take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, draw a Venn diagram on it. On the left, here's what I like to do. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I like about my military career. Bubble left, bubble right. Here's what I don't like to do. Here's what I didn't like about my career. Here's whatever. And in, in the middle is the overlap. Go Look for job descriptions with those words, with those concepts in them. Don't look at titles. Don't look at pay. Don't look at geography. You're just looking for jobs that are out there that have what you feel comfortable doing in. Now you can talk about those things in the interview and you know they'll resonate with those companies. So that's one tactic to make sure you get ready for the interview. And then you'll connect with the people. Now you look at the titles, you look at the companies, you look at the geographical locations, you figure out where they are, you start connecting with mid-senior level people in those companies, and you start conversations with them about, hey, how do you guys take care of your customers? Hey, how do you demonstrate your values every day? You assess the climate through people inside those walls, and so you're really using LinkedIn now to mine intelligence that you're going to use to inform your preparation for the interview, for the resume, for the targeted cover letter, or whatever. So that's what I mean by get good with LinkedIn. Use it as a, what, what we would call in the services a human intelligence tool. I'm afraid I'm one of those thousands that you mentioned who has a book about LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> um, the way that they do that is they get on and figure out who they're targeting in a company, if you pick out 10 or 15 companies you'd like to work for, 
go target who are the heads of the departments to which you would report or direct reports. Try to connect with them and see what groups they're on and then join those groups for discussions and your name keeps coming up on a regular basis. Then you're a known entity or at least a semi-known. They know who you are. You're a member of their group. You're one of us. You're one of them. So it's just, there's all sorts of strategies here too. It takes work though. It's a hard job finding a job. It's a job and it's uh, <laughs> get it done right is a lot of hard work. It, you, the days of walking in because you know Bob and Bob knows Bill and Bill's going to hire you because you're a friend of Bob's over. Those days are gone. And it's because they see yeah. a value in you and what is your value. And that becomes an important concept. One of the things I tell America is, you know, take your base salary, multiply it by 25%, add those two numbers together, and that's the cost basis you present. Now, the question is, how much better of cost basis are you? In other words, what's your multiple? Are you a three, a five, a 10? And the greater that multiple, the greater perception of value and the more chance they have of interviewing you and better chance you have of negotiation room. I think the key there for the folks listening is it's being able to show that value multiple is objectively higher than what you're going to pay me to come in there and do this for you. That's right. Um, I, can you know, I, 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 I see so many. That's, that's right. You know, and frankly, so many people think it's about, you know, hey, they're objective on a resume. I don't know why people still put them on a resume, but oh. hey, I want to grow up and do this. Who cares? The company doesn't care. What are you going to do for me? What's your multiple? It better be more than three. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I love yep. how you present that real simple math as their baseline. It works. I mean, if you, if you do everything based on their perception of you, it's not about you. It's about what their perception of you is because at the end of the game, at the end of all of this, I tell my clients that you can have two scenarios over which you are in 100% control. One, you stand like the little boy in Oliver Twist with a handout and say, may I have $15,000 more, sir? Or you leave the room and somebody says, holy moly, we're lucky to get him for only $15,000 more than we thought we'd have to pay. <laughs> and you're, you're in control of that scenario. Only you. <laughs> so you better figure it out and pretty quick, too. How did you get in military transition space? Wow. So what a great question. So my short answer is, in my mind, I'm not in the military transition space. So for example, my company, my LLC is a training and placement company. And we train and place military veterans to walk like, talk like, act like, do hiring math and present multiples of value to employers so that they can achieve meaningful, lucrative post-service careers. When we first started, almost everybody we worked with was a veteran. We've been at it five years now, and we are now doing about 70% of our folks are active duty. They're within 18 months of transitioning out, or they're within six months of transitioning out. So we were kind of pulled into the transition space and realized that there is a lot of gaps. There's, even though there's tens of thousands of organizations helping vets with lots of free stuff, well, you know, doing it in a targeted, results-oriented manner so the vet can have a reasonably high expectation that they land a salary that provides meaning and purpose and, and, and you know, a paycheck commensurate with their 10 years, 15 years, 25 years of experience, that's a whole different story. So we operate in that space. And so we've got buddies calling their buddies that are still in uniform saying, hey, you guys got to go through right. this training program, right. you got to go through their placement services. And so we kind of have been pulled back into the transition space. And your focus is pretty much on project management and project coordination, that sort of thing, right? Yes, sir. It has been traditionally. And this year, we're going to add a couple other pipelines. Uh, we're looking at HR and we're looking at cyber. 
And basically, we're just going to lather, rinse, repeat what we've done with PM. Sure. You were in uniform for a while. What was your own translation like? And how do you perceive that it's different today than it was when you got out? (laughs) So, So my transition was rough. I was a nuclear welder, and there are zero nuclear-powered submarines in the civilian fleet. So I had a great skill set. The chief that recruited me did not lie. Hey, right, you're going to end up with a great skill set, kid. I did. I just did. There was nowhere to apply it. So I talked like I knew to talk. Leadership, I'll lead this, I'll lead that, I'll do your project, I'll run your nuclear, you know, whatever. And people just didn't see the value of multiple, Fred. I mean, you know, you mentioned it. I love it. So I'm going to steal that from you if I can. But they just, I, I just didn't know how to talk in a manner of general management and planning and controlling and organizing and performance. And, you know, I didn't understand uh, P&L. I didn't know what a P&L was, right? I thought that's what you got out of a Cracker Jack box or something. So, you know, I was missing some, some gaps. So my transition was rough and it took a long time. It took several years. And one of the things I struggled with was just the fundamental concept of, dude, you'll never be done transitioning, right? You're like, you've been bit by a radioactive spider. You look like everybody else, but you're not a civilian. You look like one, but you're not one. You've been changed. So it's not, can I go back? It's, hey, what's the new me? I got to paint a new in-state and start planning towards that. So that's really why I started Best of PM. And that's, I think, why I ended up at university. And that's why I started a nonprofit. Everything that I've been doing with my adult professional life since leaving the service is trying to make sure that the next guy or gal coming behind me doesn't have to take multiple years in a dark place trying to figure this out. There's thousands of us that have figured it out successfully. Here's your four-step plan. Give me 90 days and drink some I Believe Kool-Aid and you're going to be okay on the backside of this. (laughs) Oh, would it were that simple, but. (laughs) <laughs> Folks, we were joined. <laughs> Folks, we've been speaking with Eric Wright. Doc Wright is a military veteran, serial founder, and author, lecturer, etc. Eric, thank you very much for joining us on the U.S. at Work. Thanks for having me, Fred. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.